Welcome back. Actually, one of the definitions of reconciliation is a reconnection, a coming back together. And in that sense, Rally Day is as much about reconciliation as it is any. And with that, so let me begin with the end in mind, at least as far as the psalmist understood it. Using the 150th psalm, the last psalm in the psalmody. Like Beethoven's last movement in the Ninth Symphony, the hymn to joy, this psalm is built on the incredible sense of thanksgiving, gratitude, and praise for God at the end of all things. With an understanding that at that end, everything has finally come back together and there are no more tears or suffering or brokenness or racism or hate groups. When then in everything, in heaven and on earth, all will be lifted up in praise and thanksgiving. Hear the word as it is given to us in this psalm. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with clanging cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Days pass and the years vanish and we walk sightless among miracles. Lord, fill our eyes with seeing and our minds with mystery. Let there be moments when your presence like lightning illumines the darkness in which we walk. And help us to see wherever we gaze that the bush burns unconsumed and to reach out for holiness, exclaiming in wonder how filled with awe is this place. And we did not know it. Amen. As in my use of this prayer last week, I give credit to the ancient Hebrew words from which this prayer has been taken So here we are on rally day, and like Pentecost, we are gifted with a jazz band, not just any jazz band, like the supreme best jazz band in the world kind of jazz band, at least from my perspective. Thank you for being here. Twenty years ago, I was sitting in on a conversation with a bunch of ministers, and we were talking about what particular music style best would fit our understanding of faith. One of the more formal members always dressed to the nines, usually wearing a bow tie. He was a little older as well. Stressed that it had to be classical music that would best fit our understanding of faith. Because in classical music, you have well-trained and disciplined artists who uh, who work within an orchestra and who are directed clearly by the hand of God, as, at least as the director would say it. 
And, and that music is so much richer and deeper and more complicated, and it's so full of beauty. Besides, he said, it all started in church. Another one made a case for rock and roll. And when some objected, he rolled out the Beatles, whose music did in, change, did in fact change the world. And just as it 50 years later is still as fresh as it was then, it probably will be in another 500 years. And besides, he said, look how they evolved year after year, becoming something different, the way God evolves with us. And besides, is there any better rock and roll spiritual song in the world than Let It Be? We all agreed that he was just blowing smoke which we also said was in many times or cases the problem with many of the rock and roll artists of the time. The one that convinced me, however, was the pastor who said it has to be jazz. Classical comes close, he said, and yes, it is, or it used to be more improvisational, but now it is more like imitation Now, I know many of you may take issue with that. What do I know? Rock and roll, he said, is indeed incarnational. That is, it is close to our way of life. It fleshes our lives out and it carries the underlying beat of the drum and bass like the underlying beat of hope and faith. But it tends to appeal more to the senses, he said, than to the soul of us. Country, he said, is too full of Whiskey drinking, train whistling, broken hearts. And while there's plenty of hurt in the world, at least as he understands country, there's just not enough redemption. Jazz, on the other hand, is both dis, uh, disciplined and improvisational. And improv, he said, is the stuff of what faithful life looks like. It runs off of a series of 7th, ninth, 11th, and 13th chords that leave you in suspense that is played off of through each particular melody and riff of the particular instrument. And as those chords build suspense and, and create anxiety and conflict, eventually they come back to resolution or, for my language, reconciliation. He said, jazz was born from the blues, but it also carries with it the joy of bop. And talk about evolving every performance as something brand new. Now, as you know, we don't always have jazz music uh, in our worship service once or twice a year, and I know that it might grate against some of your more classical liturgical sensibilities. In one church, they held a jazz service, and a woman stood up in the middle of it and shouted, I will not have a lounge singer crooning at me in church. And then she walked out. Actually, jazz and church seem to come from opposite sides of the track. One pastor said that when he first tried jazz in worship, they were supposed to practice at 10 a.m. 
and the drummer didn't show up. So he got on the phone and called him and he could tell that he woke him up. And he said, where are you? And the drummer said, wait a minute. When you told me I was supposed to be there at 10 o'clock, I thought you meant at night. (laughs) Jazz with its smoked filled rooms and audience swaying back and forth to the sounds of trombone and trumpet till late in the night versus us. Whose movement, by the way, living up to our frozen chosenness is mostly up and down, even if it is our heads that are going up and down in sleep. Even if it is standing up or sitting down in prayer, admit it, when we try to sway in church, we look tighter than a 30-year-old pair of jeans. Jazz started to get a bad reputation early, it seems, because of the company it kept. In the early 1900s and the roaring 20s, It was not so much the style as it was who played it. It grew out of the black blues culture in the midst of racism known as Jim Crow, giving black folk a way to gather in community and express their freedom and skill and art in this new form of music. And that's the beauty of it. Like the Jesus movement, it sprang from the bottom up, out of persecution of the least and the last and the lost, beginning with African drum and dancing music, going back centuries, thousands of years, evolving into the blues, ragtime, and then jazz, and then all the many evolutions since, out of a people who had been enslaved and treated basically like dogs, as a way to find hope and joy, and to dance in the face of adversity. It was, I think, an act of defiance. And it was and is the most democratic of all musical styles. Appreciating the melody of commonality, the group of it, but also the improvisation of individuality, that great, great, tension between the one and the many. Its improvisational style provides freedom for musicians to soar with the eagles while those in power try to keep them chained like animals. Jazz and improv was one of the few places they could be free. And in as much as that, it became an incredible power, and still is. Improvisation, you see, comes from the two Latin words improviso, meaning not provided or foreseen. And when the saxophonist takes off on some melody on a creatively inspired riff, He doesn't even know where he is going, yet he never completely leaves the communal body, the melody, which he will hopefully get back to. Each instrumentalist gets a run at it, improvs with it, coaxing into into something particularly 
theirs while still staying connected to the body. Does it remind you of something Paul said, we are the body of Christ, yet individually members of it? We could learn something. We tightly wound and dogmatically pressed Presbyterians have too often succumbed to our sour theology of predestination from John Calvin that God controls and has written out every single thing in life to happen. Every decision, every event, every moment is God's predestined plan as if we are simply hardware programmed by some divine software agent. But as improv in jazz teaches us, life is mostly the freedom found between the melodies leaving and the melodies return. It is that freedom found between the notes. It is what Yo-Yo Ma said, the music comes between the notes. We may be given a preferred melody in our life or we may be given one we did not wish. It may has something to do with our culture and our personality type and our genes and our history. But the key, of course, is that whatever it is in this life that we are given, whichever melody we are called to play, we are also called to improv with it, to play with it, with what we have, and to take this melody and turn it into something particularly us, which is... When we are particularly us, we are particularly godlike. It's about adaptation and changing and dance, even in the midst of loss and death and suffering. As heretical as this sounds, I've decided that God, from the melody of creation to the melody of of reconciliation and resolution from the beginning to the end. God in the middle of this is improving along with us. The thing about it is it's faith. And it doesn't just come off the cuff. It's born in discipline and grounded in the basics of hard work, practice, and communal support. One person said there's no such thing as improvisation without a jazz musician who already knows what the score is, who understands the bass line, who knows the melody, and who has spent lots of time and energy mastering the scales. Otherwise, it's like putting a small child in front of a piano and saying, play me something. Faith is just like this. Malcolm Gladwell in The Tipping Point and also wrote Blink tells of attending a show for an improv comedy group that was fascinating. Apparently, they show up on stage and someone from the audience tells them what they are supposed to act out. Like, okay, you are a family of squirrels trying to find out a way to bury your nuts in the midst of a hurricane. And then they would take off. And you think, ah, they're just making this up. But what you learn is that they practice week after week after week on the role and the rules of improvisation. And then they go back and critique what they did the next week. It is deeply disciplined. So in jazz, so in faith. You venture off, 
You improv, you come back. You return where you started from. We call it repentance, too. Back to the original place of start. You bring things back together. You reconnect to reach a state of final resolution or reconciliation. This is our process and our promise. All the improvisational threads, all the notes, all the dissonance and consonants, the slow and fast, the flats and sharps are brought back together, reconciled in the cosmic masterpiece at the end of time. And even now there are places and moments that break in giving us glimpses of this cosmic reconciliation, a glimpse of the future of God. There's Moses who kills a slave in Egypt and goes on the run and then hears God's voice out of a burning bush calling him to go back to Egypt in order to find reconciliation and lead the people into freedom through the promised land. There's Peter who denied Jesus three times, who was in a boat after Jesus has died and been resurrected and sees this figure on the shore and figures out it's Jesus and jumps off the boat and swims into to shore to find Jesus with his arms out holding Peter in an act of love and forgiveness. Three times Jesus says, I forgive you to reconcile Peter's brokenness. In the jazz of life too, Wynton Marsalis was playing in New Orleans. I don't stand a ghost of a chance with you. And he's unaccompanied when all of a sudden someone's cell phone goes off right at the most dramatic point when he's about to bring it into resolution. Marsalis paused for a beat. His eyebrows went up. He was motionless. A man there scrawled on a piece of paper, magic ruined. The cell phone offender stood up and scurried off into the hall as the chatter in the room grew greater. Still frozen at the microphone, Marcellus played the silly cell phone melody note for note. And then he repeated it and began improvising variations on the tune. And after several minutes, after he had changed keys twice off of that cell phone melody, he reconciled it all by returning again to the exact place he started. I don't stand a ghost of a chance with you. And of course, the standing ovation was tremendous. Because it resonated with us. This is life. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians, God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself. And we are called to be ambassadors or agents of reconciliation. Improving through life, we live with the faith and hope that in the end, Everything that breathes will flow into a syncopated harmony, praising our creator. Every voice 
from the highest soprano of Beverly Sills to the lowest bass of Ken Mixon, every instrument from the cello of Yo-Yo Ma to the guitar of Stevie Ray Vaughan, every dancer, every cricket chirp, frog moan, and eagle's cry, every loud crashing wave, thunderclap, and howling wind will also, with that still, small voice of silence, come together in the perfect pitch, rhythm, and melody, singing together the praises of God. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord, and let the people say, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen.